Well, thank you for attending our 20th year of the Ladies' Retreat Repeat, which finds its roots actually in the 30th year of the Ladies' Bible Retreat. And perhaps this is the first time you have attended, and that's wonderful. Uh, Maybe you were invited here by a friend or a daughter or a mother or a sister, and I want you to know that you are all welcomed here. Uh, For we share the love of Christ here, who loved you and gave his life for you. Today, we will present two messages from the Ladies' Bible Retreat, and the lesson is on the power of our thoughts. So as you look at your handout, you can see the series that we've done over the past uh, eight months at Heritage Trail Bible Church and Duluth Bible Church. It's been an interesting journey for us as we've explored the power of our thoughts as God sees them. Now, we're only speaking on two messages today from the ladies' um, retreat. And as you look at your handout, you'll notice the first lesson is what we think about others. I'm not speaking on that today because of a time constraint, but you can listen on the Duluth Bible Church website to hear that message. Today, Faye is speaking on what we think about friendship, And then today I'm speaking on this morning on what we think about life. Uh, This is a somewhat revised version of what I spoke on at the Ladies' Bible Retreat in March. I'm one who uh, likes to revise and rewrite, so if you heard the message at the Ladies' Retreat, you'll hear some new things that I mentioned in today's messages. Well, as we think of the Power of Our Thoughts series There's a theme verse that has gone with this series, and it's on the front of your handout. And it's Philippians 4, 8. And it reads like this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. Wow, that's a lot to think about, isn't it? But what do we think about life? And I know that's a deep question uh, so early in the morning to ask of you, but what do we think of life? And how do we make rhyme or reason out of our life? We eat, we work, we sleep, we awaken, And we repeat the routine again, day after day, year after year. But why? For what purpose? Just to wear out and be discarded as a closet of old clothes? Just to move on and make room for others? And how are we to fit all the puzzling pieces of our life into a sensible and purposeful pattern like our unemployment, our doctor's bills, our bitter disappointments, our failures, our heartaches. Why must these things be? Is there an intelligent plan that lies behind all these things and gives them meaning? Now, it's interesting because men and women have attempted throughout the years to answer these questions. And philosophers have crowded libraries, and now the internet, with the meaning of life. (laughs) And they have spun impressive theories on it. In fact, to Samuel Butler, life was, 
a long process of getting tired. And another philosopher described life as this. A span of time in which the first half is ruined by our parents and the second half by our children. (laughs) But we need a guide for life that has not been invented by men and women who are in error as we are. We need the truth. For how we see life may depend on how we feel about life. My dad told me this story many years ago after my Uncle Marvin and Aunt Leona visited our home at Thanksgiving. Now, Uncle Marvin was a serious man. Uh, He rarely spoke, and he wore a sad face. And my parents thought his wife had that effect on him. And Dad and Marvin were in the family room, and Dad was having a very difficult time engaging Uncle Marvin in conversation. So in a moment of awkward silence, Dad blurted out, Do you want to see life? And Uncle Marvin jumped up immediately and said, Yes! (laughs) And here was Uncle Marvin's opportunity to see life for himself, he thought, and not through his wife's filter. And Dad was startled. Marvin, I meant, do you want to see Life magazine? (laughs) And I'm sure Uncle was very embarrassed and very disappointed. For we all want to see life at one time or another. Well, the Apostle Paul said he had seen life. He said, I've seen life full and free, glorious and triumphant. Abundant life. Someone has said life is what you are alive to. And Paul would agree. Because he said, for me to live is Christ. And he also said, and to die is gain. So let's see what else Paul has to say about life in our scripture reading for today. I would like you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 4 and verses 15 through 17. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather here today and to hear your word. 
We thank you, Father, that you care for us. You care for our inner life. You care about our thoughts. You care about every detail of our life. We have a great God who is worthy to be praised. I just pray now today, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who is my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So you perhaps saw right from the beginning that Christ is our life. And also we saw from the Apostle Paul that we are to set our minds on things above as believers in Jesus Christ. Set our minds on the ascended, glorified Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. Because Paul says our life in this world will be better if it's lived in the power of Christ's resurrection. Because faith is heavenly focused. And in verse 16, we saw we are to let the word of God, the word of Christ, dwell in us richly. And I love that adverb, richly. You'll have to excuse me, but I'm a grammar teacher, and I love words. And it's not just let the word of God dwell in you, but let it dwell in there richly. And we also read, and Paul pulls out all the stops here, and he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So it's the word of God in your heart, which is the handle by which the spirit of God turns your life. So I must ask this question. How content are you with your life? Does God's peace rule or stand guard around your heart? Well, if HGTV has taught me anything... It's that the key to contentment is an open concept layout, double sinks in the bathroom, a kitchen island the size of Hawaii, and a $1.2 million budget. But just like the little mermaid who sings, I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. I've got who's-its and what's-its galore. You want thingamabobs? (laughs) I've got 20. But who cares? No big deal. I want more. We mistakenly think that if we have more thingamabobs, we will be content. But ladies, if you've lived long enough, you will understand that is not true. It is simply not true. More stuff will not make us happy. We are constantly told, however, that satisfaction is just a purchase away. Okay, were you, you were happy with your iPhone when you bought it three years ago, right? But now are you looking for a new bottle to update? See, too often we think a future event will make us happy. If we could just move, or if we could pass that examination, if we could get that job I've always wanted, if I could marry that man, if I could have children, if I could make more money. So, God puts us, bring, brings us back down to earth and says, contentment is what you think. It's if you're thinking on Christ. I had a friend recently who shared this quote with me, and she said that this is on her dining room wall. And it's contentment is not the fulfillment of the things you want, but thankfulness for the things you have. Because, ladies, 
Happiness has a short shelf life. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, I am to be content. And you notice that I highlighted that verb, have learned, because contentment is learned. Salvation is an instantaneous event, but the virtues of the Christian life are learned. Here a little, there a little, as we walk by faith, taking one step after the next, and God is so patient with us, he's so loving with us, he's so kind with us, he says, I want to teach you something, Carol. I want to teach you contentment. I want you to learn that from me. And so in my process throughout my years and my walk with the Lord, I have seen truly that happiness has a short shelf life. And my joy, my true joy, is in the Lord. And I thank the Lord for that. I'm thankful that he showed that to me because he's so kind and loving. I think of this verse in Hebrews 13.5, which says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that always stops me in my tracks. The Lord Jesus said that to me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. His presence is around me. His relational presence is within me. And is that not enough? Yes, dear Heavenly Father, that is enough, for I have everything in Christ, and therewith I can be content. A friend shared this quote with me from Israel, my glory, and it says, the secret of contentment and inner peace is found in letting go of the need to control and resting in the confidence that God is in control. I needed that quote because I tend to want to be in control. (laughs) I like to run things and have things, everything in order. My duck's in the row, as that expression goes. And God says, hands off. Let me control your life. Let me control every detail of your life. And you know what, Carol? You'll be content because you won't think that you have to manipulate everything around you to make it all so-called perfect. Now, the Lord Jesus made an interesting statement in Matthew 6.25. And he says, do not worry about your life. Well, our common sense shouts very loudly when we hear this. That's ridiculous. (laughs) I have to consider how I live. Why would he even say this? Because the Lord Jesus understood that behind every command of God is the omnipotent power of God to fulfill it as we trust him. As we walk by faith, we will not worry about our life because we know God is in control of our life, every single detail. The Lord Jesus also knew that we are never free from recurring waves of that worry invasion. And even though we have been assured of our salvation in Christ, even though we received the promises of God through the word of God, and we received his love and protection, we can find ourselves fretting over the details of everyday life. And then the more we think that worry has a place in our lives, that it serves a legitimate purpose 
and it's useful or it provides us with benefits, you know what will happen, ladies? The more we will worry. And until we believe that worry is useless and ultimately damaging, it's going to be difficult for us to give up. One woman tried to justify worry by saying, I have come to realize that most of the things I worry about never happen, which just proves that worry does work. (laughs) Or as Charlie Brown said, sometimes you just lie in bed at night and you do not have a single thing to worry about. That always worries me. But the Lord Jesus said, do not worry about your life. It's because he knows that those worried thoughts make us anxious. But what's wonderful is that he not only gives us the power to overcome those worried thoughts, but he also gives us his peace to steady us and to stabilize our thinking. The Lord Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Thank you, Father, for that promise from the Lord Jesus. Because I need Jesus' peace to stabilize my thinking. Thank you, Father, that my heart does not need to be troubled And thank you, Father, that I do not need to be afraid because Christ told me so. He told me that. And I'm trusting in him, and I believe him. You know, it's interesting, when you study the word peace throughout the Bible, the most consistent fact is its connection with Jesus Christ. When Jesus would greet people when he had his ministry on earth, he would greet them this way, Shalom which is the Hebrew word for peace. In fact, when you're greeted that way in Israel by the Jews, when they say shalom, what they're really asking is this, what is your peace? And it's interesting when you look at the word peace, because it doesn't just mean a cessation of war. It includes blessings such as wholeness and health and quietness of soul, preservation, and completeness. So shalom is a major descriptor in the Bible for salvation. It centers on the finished work of Christ on the cross, for there can be no true peace apart from righteousness, and there can be no righteousness apart from God's salvation in Christ. For it's at Calvary where righteousness and peace have kissed each other. We experience the peace of God when we have the peace with God. How is that possible? Through faith and Jesus Christ finished work on the cross for us. It's interesting because God declares us sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none who does good. No, not one. That's a declaration of war. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ came. And he took our penalty upon himself on that death. He bore God's wrath for us so that we could have peace. And salvation in Christ, justification, is a declaration of peace and made possible by Christ's death on the cross. Does that sound too good to be true to you? If so, that's the point. 
Grace is all that God seeks to give you that you aren't able to do for yourself. We are saved by grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. as a gift of God, not of works, lest you should boast. The teaching that salvation is conditioned solely on faith is mentioned 200 times in the New Testament. So our so-called good works are grace killers. The only thing you can bring to the cross has already been brought there, and that is your sins. Have you placed your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins? And you can do that right now. It's so simple. Just believe. Just believe that Jesus Christ was thinking about you and bore your sins in his own body on that tree. And we begin our relationship through Jesus Christ in faith, and we continue to live the Christian life by faith in the Savior who loved me and gave his life for me. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He first loved us on that cross. And we can experience peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has established a lasting, eternal peace for us through his death and resurrection, which is available to all. Whosoever will may come, may come by faith in the risen and resurrected Savior. So the question is before us is this. Will we live in shalom? (laughs) Will we live in peace? Or will we live in unrest and in worry about our life? Will we unleash the shalom in our life, mixing the promises of God with faith in both God's character and God's promises? And it's so helpful to me to remember who God is He is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is love. He is truth. I can trust and have faith in a God like that. But I wonder sometimes if the Apostle Paul had anxiety. He had the care of all the churches, (laughs) Scripture tells us. That alone would be need for Pepto-Bismol in my mind. And it's interesting because Paul wrote about anxiety and God's peace often because I believe that settled him as he thought about his life and his situation because he probably wrote the greatest anti-anxiety verses in all of the Bible as such as one here, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, Philippians 4, 6. And notice how he says, be anxious for nothing. And what are this, what's the solution there? <laughs> By prayer. And then he says supplication. And supplication is when you are praying in earnest. The kitchen sink is around your neck, ladies. Things, you cannot figure life out. Things are hard. And you get on your knees, so to speak, or on your knees in your mind. And you say, Father, help me. I need you. I need you to settle my mind and think about Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul did, obviously, where he went to written about it. And then he follows up with this verse in Philippians 4, 7. He says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's how the peace of God rules your hearts. It sounds, sounds, it's like a guard around your thinking. 
That's interesting because Paul's counsel in Philippians 4.7 is based actually on Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on you because they trust in you. Paul knew that verse. So he drew from that verse of Isaiah 26.3 and he put it into the New Testament as he wrote about it when he said, let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So when people would come up to Isaiah and they'd say, Shalom, what is your peace? And Isaiah would respond and he said, My peace is from the Lord, for I wholly trust in him. But you notice that. What kind of peace is that, ladies? It's perfect peace. Interesting way that's written, isn't it? I'll tell you something. I don't have a perfect life. Maybe you do. I don't. (laughs) You probably don't either. But this is something I can have that's perfect. I can have perfect peace as I'm thinking about my Savior and that he's got me covered, that he's taking care of me, and he will work out all the details of my life together for my spiritual good. Well, you might say, Carol, that kind of peace seems like an impossibility with everything going on in the world around us. Not to mention the confusion of thoughts I have swirling in my mind so often. And we wonder, how could a promise be made like this to us? But ladies, it works. I've seen it work. I've seen it work not only in my life, but in the life of others. I've seen perfect peace in women who, in the midst of cancer treatments or the loss of their husband, with marital problems or financial problems, they have discovered God's peace that is totally separated from their circumstances. It's a peace that defies human understanding or explanation. Was it because these women's faith was so strong? No. It was the object of their faith. Their minds were stayed or fixed on Christ who is strong. Because when I am weak, he is strong. Where Christ is, there is life and peace. Ladies, I don't know all of your circumstances, but I know God does. He knows them actually better than you even know them. And he says you must not think about these things to the point where they become the primary focus of your life. And whenever an anxious or worried thought takes our mind captive and it's competing for our heart, we need to take that thought captive. Because lack of peace is a good barometer for us to see what thought to take captive. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If you have been following me throughout this series of the power of our thoughts, you know that this particular passage of scripture has been very important to me, and it's been foundational to our series as well. And throughout the years, I would study this verse, I'd hear the verse um, mentioned and preached, and I'd look at that verse and i think, Father, I need help with this. Please help me to understand this. Help me to understand how I can bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and here's what the Lord showed me. To the obedience of Christ means to the power of Jesus Christ. I can't do this on my own. I can't bring into captivity every thought. But the Lord Jesus Christ can help me 
A thought in itself is not sin. Thoughts come, and it's what we do with those thoughts that matter. So taking our thoughts captive means not allowing them to wander wherever they want to go, and they so easily can do that. You can dwell on worried thought, or you can take that thought captive. And the worried thought can be replaced with a truth from the Word of God that will settle you and will stabilize your thinking. So again, I want to emphasize this. It's through the power of Christ that we can take our thoughts captive. We can do all things through Christ. And Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can help us with our thinking patterns. Because our natural mind doesn't automatically go to the thoughts of God. It goes to those worried places in our circumstances. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to renew our mind through the Word of God. Because His truth, little by little, rids us of worry and gives us hope. The Lord Jesus also said this. He says, do not worry about tomorrow. Why did he give us such wise counsel as that? Because we tend to always think about tomorrow and not think about today. In fact, sometimes even today is too much for us to think about when we wake up in the morning. But if we can look at our life in a moment-by-moment frame, drawing upon God's strength, drawing upon God's love and his protection to meet our deeds for that moment, that moment as we walk by faith. Please do not feel that I condemn you if you struggle with anxiety or worry. I do not stand in judgment of you. There is God's grace and love. And God addresses messages to my heart way before they come to you. And as I think about him and his word, and he shows me so much about myself and and my relationship with him, and it's very humbling, ladies, uh, as I share my life stories with you, and my desire is not to draw attention to myself, but to fill you with all hope in believing. When the Lord Jesus said, do not worry about your life, it caused me to pause during the month of February. This is not a picture of me, but this could be a picture of me during the month of February. And when I knew that I was speaking on this topic and I started writing on it, and that was one of the verses I wanted to bring out, and the Lord says, do not worry about your life, Carol. Well, to me that said, do not worry about the retreat messages. And let the peace of God rule in your heart was another verse I knew I wanted to speak on. And the Lord first worked on my heart in these two areas before it's come to you. Now, I know there's no excuse to worry. But I was. And, and I was ready to begin writing my messages for the retreat uh, three weeks before the retreat. I had written copious notes and notebooks. I had done a lot of thinking and praying over the messages. But now I, it was time for me to, to put that, those thoughts down into words. And... It was time for me to write. And lo and behold, I came down with the flu. I haven't had the flu in years. And I'm lying in bed, very sick with the flu, and thinking, Father, I cannot write my messages flat on my back. Did you hear what I just said there? I cannot write these messages flat on my back. And that's exactly where God wanted me. Because as I was flat on my back, I was looking up. And I was looking up at my Savior, and I said, Father, I can't do this. I, I don't even know how, where I, how to even begin. And I feel so weak. 
and so tired. And God was teaching me to look to him and not my circumstances, especially when I received an email when I was flat on my back from the retreat coordinator saying this, now that you are putting the finishing touches on your messages, (laughs) what? Finishing touches on my messages? My fingers haven't even touched a keyboard yet. Father, I need your help. So after I was in bed for three days, I, I struggled and found my way to my office, and I began writing, and it was not smooth sailing, I'll tell you that. I did a lot of writing, I did a lot of rewriting. In addition, I teach online, so I had assignments that I had to grade and return to my students. I had a baby shower to attend. I had a devotional that I had to write for a birthday party that week. I had a handout that I needed to write. I had a PowerPoint to consider. You get the picture where, where I was. <laughs> and worry or anxiety can burrow its way so quickly into my thoughts. So it's important that I had to tell myself the truth. And this is what I said. Carol, the Lord Jesus understands you. He created you. He died for you. He proved his love for you at Calvary. He sticks closer to you than your best friend. Take your care and worry to him. He will bear your burden. So I prayed, Father, these are not my messages. These are your messages. May I not assume the worst. And I know you will help me. And in the midst of it all, God gave me a verse. A verse that I'm sure I've read before, but I read it through different eyes. And it says, she will have no fear of bad news. And the bad news was I wasn't going to finish in time. Trusting in the Lord. Her heart is secure. She will have no fear. In the end, she will look in triumph on her foes. And my foes were worry and anxiety. And through it all, the Lord reminded me of his love through my friends as well during that time. I received text messages, cards, emails, and phone calls of words of encouragement. And a week before the retreat, the UPS man delivered a package. And in that package was a coffee mug from a friend. And on the front of that coffee mug was this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I said to my husband, Barry, this is a gift from God. This is no happenstance. He will always give you the strength you need to bear the burdens he allows. And that strength comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ, walking in the Spirit, and the strength then comes into our minds. The joy of the Lord is your strength, ladies. And as your days, so shall your strength be. God will strengthen you with his power in your inner being. Because Christ did strengthen me, just as he had promised. I finished writing the messages several days before the retreat. The handout did get printed the night before the retreat. I had the PowerPoint completed two days before the retreat. And sometimes God likes cliffhangers, so we trust him. Dear friends, just as we have to learn contentment, we must also learn peace, God's peace. And I'm still learning. So I have a double major, ladies. I have a double major in contentment and peace, God's contentment and God's peace. And peace comes when we are anchored to God's unchanging truth. The Lord Jesus established his peace for us. His peace is an objective reality. 
and the subjective feeling of peace will come as we allow Christ to be established in our hearts by faith. God's peace is based on his character of who he is and what a great God we have and who's worthy to be praised. So the content of your thinking determines your peace. So ask yourself, am I trusting in what I know is true in my life through Christ or am I focusing on my problems and adversities? So I end with this section with shalom. What is your peace? Living a life of peace requires an acceptance of life's uncertainties, and there are certain things that are beyond our control, ladies, where no amount of worry will help change the situation. And maybe you've been severely wronged, and maybe you've been taken advantage of, and I think we all can say we've had those times and we've had those moments, and we've had those situations when life is simply unfair, just like these goldfish in the fishbowl. And in those moments, we acknowledge that disappointments and griefs happen and pain and hurt are there in our life. However, God is always fair. Life isn't fair, but God is. God is always right. Now, some of you have been in extremely unfair circumstances this year. And maybe you're raising your grandchildren because your children cannot. And you may think, it's so unfair. Uh, You may have had a bad diagnosis from the doctor, and you just came out of a cancer treatment. And you think, it's so unfair. You may have an unfaithful husband who left you, and now he's living with another woman, and you're living paycheck to paycheck to help provide for the children. And you say, This is so unfair. Or the company you worked for was suddenly and permanently shut down, and you are in your 60s, and you still need an income. The older we get, the more we realize that life is unfair. But how should we respond to that? I can choose in my circumstances how to respond. I have the power to do that. I can grumble about it. I can become cynical, I can become negative, I can become dark, I can become unhappy, I can become miserable. Or I can choose to take sides against that thinking and trust the Lord. It's all a matter of small choices, ladies, moment by moment. It's a matter of taking mental effort to say no to those wayward emotions and yes to the promises of God, to turn those worried thoughts into worthy thoughts. And I love this verse here. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of Christ. And what this teaches me and shows me is the Christian life is not a pessimistic life. It's an optimistic life as we think about our Savior and all that we have in Christ. Because all the promises are right there in your Bible, and they're real, and they're true. And right now you're hurting and and you're raw, but you have to hang on to those promises even if they don't seem to be working for you at the moment. We simply cannot allow our thoughts to get away with murder. (laughs) For this verse says the thief comes to kill and destroy. That's Satan himself. Our enemy loves to kill and destroy our abundant life in Christ. He wants us to have a joyless Christian life. 
But as we take our thoughts to the word of God, light dispels darkness because Jesus Christ is our light and he shows his light to us through his love for us. What I appreciate so much as a believer in Jesus Christ is that we are perfect in Christ. I don't have a perfect life, but I have a perfect Savior. And the Lord Jesus Christ lives within me. When I accepted Christ as my Savior, the moment I trusted him, the Holy Spirit took residence within me. And God sees me in Christ. And I'm so thankful for that. As even as we think of 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for God has made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. No, I don't have a perfect life. But I have a perfect Savior. And God sees me and says, you are perfect in him. Thank you, Father. Because here's the scoop, dear friends. Someone is always doing better than you. I'm sorry to break that to you. I'm sorry to tell you that. Someone is always achieving more than you are. Someone is always looking great. (laughs) And the danger is you never get to the point when you're content with your life if you think like that. And women can struggle with that. But here is the truth. You are worthy in God's sight of being loved for who you are in Christ. You don't need to be more of anything to be accepted. You don't need to be more intelligent, pretty, outgoing, interesting to be worthy of God's love and acceptance. God has made you the way you are so that you can do the work that he's called you to do. Your work is different than my work. None is less, none is greater. We're all in this together for Jesus Christ. So we should not complain or get down on ourselves because of our so-called lack of gifts or abilities or physical limitations. I encourage you when you go home to read Psalm 139. That will uplift your heart because you will see that even your genetic structure was in the hands of God before you were even born. So each of us must accept herself and be herself as God accepts us. And I know, ladies, this is not the way that it is in the world. And this is what we battle. We battle these attitudes from people that say things such as this to us. I'll love you if you treat me better. I'll love you if you get in shape. Make more money. Keep the house picked up. Stop spending so much. Give me space. Stop complaining. Be more enjoyable to be around. And if not, careful, I can take those negative self-images and accept people's statements about me. But the accurate image is how God looks at me and places his love for me on my appearance and abilities in life. We are made in the image of God. And God takes our weaknesses and limitations, and we all have them, ladies. Your weaknesses and limitations are different than my weaknesses and limitations, but we all have them. And he keeps them, and he brings them close to us, and he says, listen, do not lose heart. I love you. I care for you. I will carry you along. And even though our outward woman is perishing, and the older we get, the more I realize that verse is so true. The more I realize, yes, Carol, face it. (laughs) The outward woman is perishing, but the inner woman is renewed day by day, and that's the beauty of aging as you're walking with the Lord. 
You can get stronger, renewed, if you will, through the Holy Spirit and through his word as you're in communion with the Lord day by day. I really like the way that Corey Tenboon put it. She says, We are common earthenware jars filled with the treasures of the riches of God. The jar is not important. The treasure is everything. And what is the treasure? The treasure is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's so wonderful how we can keep going by remembering we are privileged to have the treasure of Christ in our vessels of clay. And sometimes God jars our vessels a little bit, and usually it's through trials and problems and issues, and he he jars that vessel, and then the love of Christ, that treasure within us, pours out to others, and they are blessed as well, so that Christ would be glorified. Scripture tells us this, God permits trials, God controls trials, God uses trials for his glory. God is glorified through weak vessels as we trust him. And there is nothing that makes God happier than when we trust him. We don't quite often think of it that way, do we? But I thought, that is so wonderful. I want to make God happy as I trust him. And then in turn, he is glorified. C.S. Lewis made this statement, you can't go back and change the beginning But you can start where you are and change the ending. I love that. Only a great God can do this in my life because God takes my imperfections, the unfair experiences that I've had in my life, the broken pieces of my life and the mistakes and messes of our past, and he turns them into hope. And we simply do not realize the intentions and abilities of our creator in our life, and that's why we trust him. And we trust him because why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. It's the love of Christ that motivates us. Not so much my love for him, but his love for me. And that's how I'm renewed day by day. Perhaps this poem says it so well about what C.S. Lewis wrote here. And this is how it goes. Good morning, Humpty Dumpty, sir. How amazing you're still here. By legend, you were shattered how cohesive you appear. Humpty jumped and said with a smile, the tale of horses and men wasn't the end. The king himself put me together again. I'm so thankful that we have the king of kings and lord of lords who puts us together again. Aren't you? Now, it's been a strange couple of years, hasn't it, for many of us. It's been challenging years for us. Uh, Many of us have gone through sadness or depression or cancer, COVID, divorce, MS, a miscarriage, a disability, or death of a loved one. And it's no surprise we find ourselves in dark valleys at times in our life. And everyone goes through such seasons of life, dear friends. You're not alone in that. And when we go through dark valleys, we can wonder, will the dark clouds ever lift? And they will. The word of God promises us that. Because God made us for heights. And if he allows us to go into that valley, it's so that we might have the capacity to breathe again the fresh air of his love and faithfulness. Because dark valleys have their limits. That's why the Lord Jesus said these words. 
Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I would like to read a paragraph from the book, God's Light on Dark Clouds by Theodore Kyler. And my friend Lois encouraged me to order this book this year. Lois's daughter, Cindy, had recommended this book to her mother when Cindy had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer at the age of 46. Cindy knew she had 14 to 16 months to live. And Cindy is now with the Lord. I never heard Cindy complain about her diagnosis as she went through multiple treatments. She had confidence that Jesus does all things well. Cindy was a very, very dear person in my life. I taught her when she was in elementary school and junior high school and followed her life, and we stayed friends all the way till she went home to be with the Lord. Kyler writes, The 14th chapter of John ever gleams with such a celestial brightness as when we read it under the cloud. No cloud can be big enough to shut out heaven if we keep the eye toward the throne. And when we reach heaven and see the cloud from God's side, it will be blazing and beaming with the illuminations of his love. The lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall be our shepherd and shall guide us to the fountains of waters of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from our eyes. In Psalm 56, David wrote this. God puts your tears into a bottle. Are they not in your book? And Warren Wiersbe responds to that verse and says this. One day when you're with the Lord, he will show you the bottle. He's going to say, I know when your heart was broken. I knew what you were going through. I've kept a record of it. Now that sorrow can be turned to joy. And every one of your tears will become a jewel of beauty to the glory of God. Now it wouldn't be right for me to give a message on what we think about life without talking about God's will. Because we have verses throughout the New Testament that talk about that. For instance, this one in Ephesians 5.17 Be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How many of you want to know God's will for your life? How many of you live in uncertainty of God's will for your life? Do you ever find God's will to be mysterious, perplexing, bewildering, scary? You're not alone. People are looking for direction for their life, no matter what situation or season they are in. Because we desire God's will regarding a decision of college. Where are we going to attend college? Is it going to be a technical college? Is it going to be a four-year college? We need a decision about a career. We need a decision on God's will regarding a move, a relationship, a potential husband, a health care decision we have to make, a retirement decision. But we have one problem in knowing God's will. Jesus Christ is in heaven, and we're here on earth. And we can't see him, and we can't talk to him face to face to have that conversation. Um, Father, I'd like to know your will for my life. Can we have that conversation right now? No, we're, we're down here, and, and he can see us down here. But we're separated by the spiritual and physical realms. So how do we know God's will for our life? Well, we look into God's word. We pray, 
and seek his face, and we walk by faith as we trust him step by step. Now, there are four unchangeable wills in the word of God. Uh, These wills stand out. For instance, this is the will of God that you believe in Jesus Christ. This is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day, said the Lord Jesus. It's God's will for you to give thanks in everything. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that we submit in doing right. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, for such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And it's God's will that you abstain from sexual sin. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It's so easy for us to get these, forget these four wills of God. But these wills are there to protect us. He has put them in place because he loves us and he doesn't want any harm to come to us. And so we have this, pro- we have this promise from God as we're seeking his will. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Okay. In all your ways acknowledge him, yes, and he will direct your path. But I have discovered that in seeking God's will, it takes waiting sometimes. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. But I also know this verse. Those who wait on the Lord shall do what? shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings and as easily. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that verse tells me you don't just sit by and wait like twiddling your thumb. <laughs> okay, Father, whenever you're ready, I'm, I'm ready to move out. But uh, right now I'm sitting, no. As we're waiting on the Lord, we're running, we're walking, and we're seeing what the Lord has for us. And there's a temptation in waiting that we would do something on the spur of the moment at times, like an important decision or something you want just now, so you go ahead and you do it, and you walk outside of God's will, and you settle for something that's of lower quality or character. It could be a decision about a job or a move or a relationship or desire tempts you. Uh, we may regret a hasty decision, but we will never regret waiting on the Lord. We also uh, saw this verse this morning in Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So a simple question to ask yourself when you're making a decision is this. Is this decision consistent with the character of Christ? Is this in keeping with his word? Will this decision honor the name of Jesus Christ? And if so, get up, <laughs> move forward by faith as he leads you. Because if you are too passive in seeking God's will, you will never make any decision. It's hard to steer a ship that's not moving. So take that first step of faith with what you've got right now. Now, I've seen men and women do incredible things for the Lord who have nothing tangible. They don't have much money or resources or natural abilities, but just a love for Jesus Christ. So you have to begin where you are and with what God has given you. Now, I've had many closed doors in my life. It seems that God leads through closed doors more than he does open ones. I don't know about your life, but that's mine. 
And as I look back over my life, the doors I wanted to open did not. But other doors opened that I would have never imagined. And I'm still amazed that God took a stubborn southern Minnesota gal who said, I will never live on the Iron Range, to a 45-plus year residency in a mining community. There were things in my life that were not clear to me at the time. When a full-time Christian teaching ministry was put before Barry and me, here was my overarching thought. Can I trust God to take care of us? Why wouldn't we choose a path that would be more lucrative? So stepping out by faith wasn't always easy. It wasn't always simple. There were times I said after the decision, Father, this is harder than I had expected. So we had to measure the size of the obstacle against the size of our God. We don't live on explanations, ladies. We live on promises, and the promises of God are based on the character of God, his truth, his power, his love, and his sovereignty. And now as I look back on my life, I see it was all part of God's providence and plan. He led me and my husband to a place where we could hear the word of God, we could grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we could raise a lovely family, have precious friends, a teaching ministry and career, all by God's grace and for his glory. So ladies, God opens doors, God closes doors, and what I thought were happenstances in my life were God's ways. It was a providence of God. Jesus led me all the way. F.B. Meyer wrote, A providence is shaping our ends, a plan developing in our lives, a supremely wise and loving God is making all this work together for good. In the sequel of our life story, we shall see that there is a meaning and necessity in all the previous incidents, save those which are the result of our own folly and sin, and even those have been made to contribute to the final result. That's God's grace right there. Grace, that is greater than all our sin. There are a couple other things that have really helped me in my walk in life and to realize that goodness and mercy are traveling companions on my path of life. And mercy is God's loyal and steadfast love. So God's love goes before me. God's love goes behind me. God's love surrounds me. God's love protects me. It hems me in. Thank you, Father. I need not fear my future, for God is good and always good. And that's why I cannot stop, ladies, and you're not going to stop either. And we sometimes may be bewildered about God's will, like the disciples on the day of crucifixion, but Sunday dawned for them. Clarity came, and the Lord Jesus appeared to them to reveal his will. So friends, do not be afraid of God's will. His will can't take you where the power of God cannot keep you. Remember this, your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So I'm going to ask you, what is your source of life? I'll answer it for you. Lord Jesus Christ is your source of life. God has given us his Holy Spirit in all things that pertain to life and godliness. And drawing upon God's grace is the key to divine power, prayer, and growth. But if we're not careful, we can look at life from a human viewpoint. Occupation with self, occupation with money, occupation with family, occupation with the details of life. And that is why outward appearance is not our source of life. 
but it can be an overflow. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden woman of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Did you pick out that phrase there, ladies? The hidden woman of the heart. The inner person is what's important to God. And he says, when you have that gentle and quiet spirit, it's precious in my sight, just like this diamond. And you might say, well, Carol, I don't know if you know me or not, but I'm not a quiet person. I say what I say, and that's fine. I'm not a quiet person either. This is not saying that you're to be mousy or timid or quiet in speech. That's not your personality, perhaps. But what it's saying here is that you're quiet in heart, that your faith resting in God when all the turmoil is going on around you. This verse actually was written to women who have unsaved husbands. And the verse is meant, even with all the turmoil going on around you, you still can have that quietness of heart that's faith resting in the Lord. That's what's precious to God. That's what makes him happy. So wear nice clothes. <laughs> Apply makeup if you choose. Cut and color your hair if you like. I think we can all agree that hairstylists are the unsung heroes for looking at pictures of celebrity hair we want and not laughing in our faces. So this verse is not teaching to ignore these adornments. If the barn needs painting, you paint it. But online shopping should not be my source of life. Uh, money is not a source of life, but it can be an overflow. Has money become a major struggle in your life? Do you feel defeated by finances? If money is tight right now, and my husband have been there many times, remind yourself this. You are rich. You are rich because you are a child of the king, and your riches don't always have to do with money. It has everything to do with God and what he gives you now and in the future. I love thinking about this from Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. God has freely given us the riches of his glorious grace. We have the riches of his love lavished on us. And we have the riches of his glorious inheritance within us. So ladies, if you feel down in the dumps because of your finances, go home and read Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. And by the time you're done reading, you're going to say this, I am so rich. I am so rich. Now things might be tight financially for you right now, but I can tell you this. From experience, God will provide for your needs. He has promised the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So having money is not wrong, but our attitude toward money can be. And anything that's of value is from Christ. Everything I wear or everything I remodel or drive, rust, breaks down, disappoints after a while. But everything in Christ is eternal, lasting, and rich. Children are not our source of life but they can be an overflow. And isn't that true? Our children can zap our energy from our life like nothing else can. I don't care what age you are. People who say they sleep like a baby probably don't have one. <laughs> Barry and I can remember the day when our life changed forever. Six years of marriage on our own were replaced with marriage on demand. And all the demand came from our newborn daughter. 
We were both waiting for life to return to normal. It never did. <laughs> we waited for time to talk, time to uh, sleep, time to take a shower. Nothing was working out like we thought it would. So we tried to convince ourselves things will change when she gets on a schedule, when her digestive system smooths out, when she sleeps through the night, when she doesn't cry so much. And I remember asking Mrs. Donna Radke one day when I was absolutely at my wit's end, <laughs> Mrs. Radke, when will things settle down? And she looked at me as gently as she could. She said, Carol, things will never settle down until you're with the Lord. But you can rest in him right now. And she's right. I have changed seasons. I no longer have three little ones, but things have not settled down. But that's okay. New baby stress is real, but the real reward is that comes to you as mothers because children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Yes, we all love our children, but if we find them as our source of joy or reason for living, we will be disappointed. Only the Lord Jesus can fill our hearts that way. So mothers, lighten up. We need to lighten up and not take ourselves so seriously. We need to take the Lord seriously, however. So bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the essential. The nurture and biblical training of children doesn't belong to the church. The church simply is there to augment or reinforce what happens in the home. So talk about the scriptures to your children when you walk along the way or when you get up or when you go to bed. Ultimately, there are only two things you can do for your children. Pray for them and love them. And even though children may say things that hurt us at times, it's our job to love them with unconditional agape, fruit of the Spirit, love, no matter what they have done or where they have gone. Many people are familiar with Jesus' parable of the prodigal son recorded in Luke 15. He was a wayward son who squandered his life's inheritance, and yet he wanted to come home because there was nobody left in his life anymore. So he thought of home. So he taught, returns home to find that his father forgives him. I, however, would like to meet the mother of the prodigal son. I'd like to have a talk with her. And I'd like to ask her, what were you thinking about when your son was slopping the hogs and living in the pig pen? She was probably in a home for the bewildered, is what I think. And what was she thinking when she was preparing the feast for his homecoming? I would like to picture her as that woman there that's in the mid middle of that picture, graciously serving others, showing unconditional love for her son. And I'm well aware that for us to achieve total, unconditional love is impossible. Only God can do that. But isn't that what being a mother is all about? Attempting the impossible with God's help? For with God, nothing is impossible. And all of us are in continual need of God's grace and mercy. We often do things we intended not to do. And time and time again, we regret things we said or did. But showing unconditional love to others accelerates the healing of the relationship. And that's the lesson of the prodigal son. Everyone fails. That's why Christ came. And that's why we have the Bible. And that's why we have these principles in the Bible to live by and encourage us and guide us. And we need to realize that we can admit our failures and be able to put them aside by God's grace because grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ never used the word grace. He left that up for the Apostle Paul. 
but grace and truth came by him. And if you want to sum up what grace means in one word, here it is. Jesus. And grace and truth are inseparable because I need God's grace and truth every day. I am the mother of three adult children, three children-in-law, four grandchildren. I'm not rich and famous, but I do have priceless grandchildren. And a lasting gift to a child is the gift of a mother's listening ear and heart. And as James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. If so, your words will be like pleasant, honey, sweet to the soul of your child and nurturing to your relationship. Ladies, may you grasp how high and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And this is something, ladies, you can know right now, something you can experience mentally and experience emotionally as you think of your dear Savior, Jesus Christ, how much he loves you, how much he loves your family, how much he loves your children. He loves you and his love is high and long, as high as heaven and as long as eternity and deep and wide into your soul. For as I conclude, I want to share this with you. It's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's into the interior of our lives where the Lord works. He does his work for us through his power and his work. And to him be the glory forever because it's none of me and all of Christ. I'm so thankful, Father, that you do that work in and through me, and I don't have to manufacture it or perform it on my own, because the Christian life is not performance-based. It's relational-based, your relation with Jesus Christ. And from Jesus Christ, we have learned the meaning and purpose of life. We're no longer baffled by its evils, its disappointments, its heartaches. And there's still many pieces in our life we do not understand. We can't fit into the pattern, but that's okay because God's fitting them into the pattern for us. And I thank you, Father, for that. And by the Lord Jesus' suffering, death, resurrection for our redemption, we have hope. He has given us his overwhelming demonstration of his love, assured us of it. So we trust in him and his continued care and protection. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Ladies, of course he will. Believe that. Trust that. The Lord Jesus prayed for us in the Garden of Gethsemane with these words. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. By accepting Christ as your Savior, you receive a down payment of your eternal inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit. And when you die, your body will be delivered to the household of God. And their mortality will be swallowed up of life, and eternal rest will begin. And if you don't have eternal life right now, trust Christ as your Savior today, and you can know you have eternal life. Look and live. Look at Jesus Christ and live. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you. Trust him as your Savior, and you will have eternal life. That's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And when Christ is your life, he fills your heart with such knowledge and love. He gives you purpose and meaning in life. Grab a hold of that life by faith, dear friends. 
For the Lord Jesus promised us this, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. What is the abundant life, ladies? The life of faith is the abundant life. Jesus Christ not only gave his life for us, but he gives his life to us right now. So I hope you've been able to see life this morning, not like the life my Uncle Marvin thought he would see, but your life in Christ. Because the Lord Jesus gives his assurance of his abundant life now and eternal life forevermore. But until then, until we're with our Savior, until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. Until the day my eyes behold the city. Until the day God calls me home. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that in all things you may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. And may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit be with us now and forevermore. We thank you, Father, for your kindness, for all those who contributed to the coronation of the day's events, for the music, the gift bags, the luncheon, and I thank you for every single woman who's in attendance with us today. You are good and always good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.